For nearly 10 months now, the people of Kashmir are facing a communication blackout. Their lives have been disrupted in countless ways and with the pandemic, things have gotten worse. To talk more about it and the issues related with the Kashmiri struggle for freedom, we have Mudassir Ali Lone joining us in this podcast. Mudassir is from Pulwama. Uh, he was born in 90s and, and is a witness to many uprisings against the Indian operation in Kashmir. Mudassir is also a computer science graduate and his research interests are artificial intelligence and machine learning. Mudassir also has been journaling his time during the seas and also has written on things like language of resistance. Welcome to the podcast, Mudassir. Give us an idea of what the current situation is and how are you and your current uh, fellow Kashmiris dealing with the communication blackout and the extra restrictions because of the pandemic. Yeah. So currently we are under a lockdown within a lockdown. There has been a military siege going on since August 5 here. We have been under different sieges at different phases of our history. And one of them started after August 5 when Article 370 was abrogated, the state was bifurcated and reduced to the status of Indian territory. Currently, there is also the fear of coronavirus. And apart from that, the fear of occupational forces, which has been there since decades. Now, we have to navigate ourselves you know, through both of these fears. Like when we have to move outside, there is uh, this fear that the response from the Indian state against the coronavirus pandemic in Kashmir would be also on the same military level, on the same military scale. Like we have seen uh, police and army forces, uh, army forces using violence against Kashmiris in even in this, this pandemic. That they can't differentiate between a pandemic and uh, a military because it's actually a military siege here. It has continued for decades now, different through in, in different phases. Currently, when we have to walk out, we also have this fear that what will happen at the, ne- at the next checkpoint. We have this worry about uh, getting beaten up, getting harassed for, on, on different excuses. Like uh, outside the state, outside JNK, you have the fear, this fear about virus. You have this fear about virus affecting you. And then the, there's difference between what, you, what people outside JNK fear and what we have to fear here in, inside the, this JNK state. Like uh, outside, you are only scared of uh, getting the uh, getting infected by coronavirus. But inside JNK, we also have to worry about our safety within our homes. Like there is this fear that Indian forces can come anytime. They can even like like there is a coronavirus, there is a pandemic going on. But still, the military operations haven't seized it. But actually, on the contrary, the military operations have been increased in Kashmir. There is an increased army movement. There is an increase in what we call as kasos, garden and search operations. They cordon an area, a village, a mohalla, and then there are search operations from one home to another home. And it has been going on. These cordon search operations have increased during this coronavirus. They're actually taking advantage of coronavirus because there is a, there are two lockdowns now. There's a military lockdown, a military siege, and within that there's another coronavirus lockdown. So they're taking advantage of that because they know people can't react properly right now. They can't respond properly right now. There is this fear about coronavirus, and then there is fear about getting harassed. Now getting beaten up by armed forces. So when, what, I was, what I meant to say was that like outside JNK state, you are, you are scared about going outside so that you don't catch the virus, so you don't uh, get infected. But inside in Kashmir, we have to worry about virus as well as the military forces, the response for military forces that we have to face every day. The first thing that we have to fear, like you don't uh, always, you don't have to worry about your identity cards. One thing that happens with every Kashmiri. Identity card is not so important for you, but in Kashmir, it, it, it becomes important because without an identity card, you become vulnerable to a lot of violence from Indian forces. 
like if you don't carry an identity card with you you they will simply accuse you of being a terrorist a terrorist sympathizer they will question your identity like a person from anywhere in india is questioning me in kashmir in my own home what am i doing outside what am i doing inside? even within my home like even if i'm sitting in my home right now there can be army person coming in and he will ask me for my identity card i will have to prove my identity to someone who is not even not from here so these fears apart from the corona virus have and when we talk about post august 5 and before even before august 5 they created a fear psychosis before they actually scrapped the article there were notifications different notifications coming in uh, one notification would say they are uh, to have to keep they have to maintain the supplies of essentials like food or lpg then there will be another notification a sensitive notification about troop movement and that's put out on social media and we are, all of us can see that so at that time we panicked because there were notifications about uh, troops uh, in a troop deployments being sent to kashmir there were notifications about and then even uh, there were uh, there was increased movement of forces also there were jets flying in the sky there were helicopters moving and all of us thought maybe there's going to be a war in kashmir we were actually very scared at that time and who the fear the agony at that time couldn't be i can't describe that fear because then suddenly at august 4 and midnight this snapped the internet service they shut down the internet service and we had no idea what's going to happen next and next day we hear that they have scrapped the article 370 uh, and then bifurcated the state and reduced as i said reduced the status to union territory and after that we had no information none at all about like i was i mean in my in my village i didn't know what was happening in my in, in my own district i had no idea what's happening in a village neighboring to mine because i i was scared to move outside i was scared to go anywhere we couldn't move because there were checkpoints after every few kilometers there were army checkpoints police checkpoints and they wouldn't let you move so and also then internet was snapped mobile phones for mobile phone service was snapped even the landline connections were were shut down so we had no source of information except the indian media and indian media didn't report anything at all indian media was well, i can say they were completely silent on kashmir they didn't report anything at all we didn't even know what was happening in kashmir and we had to depend on the word to mouth like one person heard there were all daily there were weird rumors every day that something bad has happened there something bad has happened in another place and we had no way to confirm whether it was true or it wasn't true so the experience under the military lockdown like if if uh, i would compare it with what others feel the agony the fear that you fear that, that you feel outside jnk the people outside jnk just multiply it by 100 or maybe 1000 and then you will realize what it feels to be in an occupied territory in a militarized zone okay uh, the thing is this all started so there have been you said that there have been phases of lockdown even before also right how's that you said uh, compared to that this is way more severe like uh, mm-hmm. if i'm if i'm not wrong afzal guru during afzal guru's uh, time uh, during during his hanging there was some kind of a lockdown during burhan wanis killing there was some kind of a lockdown uh, how is it different from how how are those different from this or how is this different from those things during those lockdowns uh, like there is a pandemic also right now yeah. so yeah, yeah. that adds to the fear and apart from that the new laws that are being have, have been introduced the domicile law recently and uh, we had the, the kashmir, even kashmiri leaders and kashmiri people have been talking about the intentions of indian state to do a demographic change in kashmir 
and now it seems that they are going on with it because they recently introduced the domicile law that will give citizenship to of jnk to uh, outsiders earlier they wouldn't they couldn't become state subjects or permanent residents here but now they could become and the way indian media and the way indian politicians are talking about it it makes their intentions clear they just want to settle people from outside uh, jnk here on a very religious line they they are they want to attack the muslim character of jnk because it's a muslim majority region and yeah. because and because they see the, this as a very muslim problem they want to eliminate us and replace us with different people as has been expressed by various politicians of india that we should just wipe out the kashmiri muslims from their settle indians and then this problem won't exist anymore so basically they are going on with that plan and that that fear that they are going to settle people here and we don't have any way to know what their next step would be because sometimes we hear in uh, news we see a report in newspaper that says that some land has been transferred to you know out some indian corporate some indian company or some education institute or some other things but we have no idea to confirm whether where it has been done has it actually been done and how much land has been transferred if you would know there was a, an uprising in 2008 there was about a few hundred canals of land that was transferred to shri amarnath shrine board and at that time the whole valley you know was in a roar the whole there was an uprising all over uh, jnk uh, yeah. about it why uh, so, so much land was being transferred to an and uh, shrine board now we don't have any idea how much land is being transferred there are rumors that thousands of canals of canals of land have already been transferred and right now we can't even speak about it because the this the level of suppression that we saw after after august 5 Mm. the number of arrests they did for random cases there were people who were arrested for cases that were 6 years old 5 years old 8 years old they were put behind bars so that there won't be any voice that will speak against what has what had been done on august 5 and the arrest didn't the arrest spree didn't start on august 5 it started months before that hundreds were already put behind bars because they had this plan of scrapping the article on august 5 so even right now there are thousands still in jail Like if if I, if I will give you an example, there are religious scholars here in in Kashmir who are very apolitical, who have never spoken about Kashmir issue in their sermons. Even they were summoned to police stations, and some of them were kept in uh, inside police stations for days together, just to silence everyone. It was shown that even these people who have been very uh, now silent about Kashmir issue, even they won't be spared. so it automatically sent a message to everyone that if they could be arrested they could be detained for days what will they do with those who will actually speak about what had been done on august 5 so every you know, they, they didn't leave any scope for any kind of resistance against it they arrested and mass they arrested thousands of people we still have no idea about how many people were arrested in last year and there is no data because there is no transparency with respect to kashmir from indian state there are rumors that thousands are still but we don't know how many that we just assumed there are some thousands but what exactly the count we don't know because they don't usually like there is a, a child or a kid that has been summoned to police station and kept there for a month or two it's not reported outside that uh, there is someone who has been detained even there is no there is no record kept in the police station sometimes so there is no idea 
uh, the actual magnitude of arrests that have happened post-August 5. And we used to hear every day that there were rumors and there was no way to confirm it because all ways of communications had been blocked that 10 people have been arrested in, in this particular village and 15 people have been arrested in that particular village. These were just rumors, but there was no way, as I said, no way to confirm it because there was no communication. Newspapers, the newspapers of Kashmir have been brutally suppressed. They don't speak now. The Kashmiri newspapers have been reduced to advertisements and there is no, uh, no, you can't say there is some genuine reporting ha happening right now in Kashmir because there were also rumors that they, are, they aren't allowed to report the truth from the ground. Their, their reports are being screened and scanned and then filtered. There are, and there was, it's actually on record that their advertisements, one of the major revenues from the government that comes to these newspapers was taken away by the government and that's how they were silenced because if they will speak against state, they won't get any advertisements from the government and then they will, will be badly hit. So that's how they control the press. And then we don't have outside newspapers, we didn't have much of Kashmiri media uh, in, in, inside here that could report things. Now we were dependent on Indian media and what can we say about Indian media? There is the, the Indian media has always told the state line, the state narrative about Kashmir. So uh, we were left to fend for ourselves. The old, like it felt like we were back in those days, uh, we were back de decades back. Like there is a, a certain thing has happened in a village and takes weeks and weeks for that message to travel to some other place, even when they are just a few kilometers apart. Okay, uh, you you mentioned the domicile loss, right? Yeah. Uh, can can you can you explain what it is that you said that it is used for? It's probably used for the demographic change changes uh, in so, in the valley, right? Can you can you explain uh, in detail what is domicile laws and what is the what are the things they are using it to do? Uh, earlier there was 35A and uh, that defined the state subject or uh, what you would call a permanent resident of Kashmir. Now they have introduced new domicile laws that will make non-state subjects of JNK. Those people who weren't citizens of JNK earlier, now they can also earlier, according to 35A, only if you were a permanent resident of state, there were certain rules that you you should have been a permanent resident of state before some particular year, and then only will be considered as the state subject. Now an uh, outsider, an Indian who has been living here for 15 years, or someone who has studied here past 10th or 12th standard, there's a criteria of 15 years for those who have worked here, like central government employees or others who have been here, living here in Kashmir for 15 years or more, or their children, their children of central government employees, or there are there are, there are so many armed personnel in Kashmir that have been working for that much more than what the criteria has been set. So they will be automatically eligible to get the citizenship of Kashmir, become the domiciles here, become residents of Kashmir. Earlier, they couldn't become because of 35. And now that has been scrapped and a new domicile law has been introduced so they can become residents here. And the recent domicile law, the notification about domicile law said, if some uh, the, the authority that uh, has been uh, now set up to give the domicile certificates, if that thinks that someone is not eligible for domicile law and then it goes to some other authority to decide whether his claim, whether claim that was put for domicile was right or wrong. And if we decide that it was right, then the first authority that was that decided against it has to give domicile certificate within seven or 15 days, else they will be fined with 50,000 rupees. 
so they are leaving no scope for any kind of objection to faulty domicile applications they are actually making it sure that those who object to such things will be penalized 50000 fine for someone who objects because when the higher authority thinks that he should be given the domicile law he or she should be given the domicile law and the the tahsil tahsildar they call tahsil tahsildar the one who has been given the authority to decide uh, whether someone can be given domicile certificate or not so they will be fined 50000 rupees like if you contrast it with the uh, nrc that happened in assam there were reports that people who kept as many people out of the nrc were rewarded and here in kashmir people who will give as many domiciles will be promoted and if you don't give as many domiciles as the state wants you to you will be penalized to 50000 rupees and maybe it can go even beyond that because we don't know how where indian state will stop when it decides to go against you okay uh, what exactly like you said that you said that the, this particular law will be used to buy land is it the main uh, uh, aim of that particular uh, domicile law that you know to uh, bring about uh, demographic changes in kashmir yeah because like when you look at the statements of the indian politicians or indian state agencies they always see it is a problem of of kashmiri muslims those who have been objecting to indian rule over indian occupation over kashmir now they see uh, if they want to settle this for once and all they want to follow the israeli playbook mm-hmm. like israel did in palestine they yeah. settled the whole area with people who weren't actually from there so they want to do the same thing here so that they can lay claim to the land and then say look these are people from the state of j and k and they don't want any kind of uh, they don't have any any objection to indian rule over this land so over some years or decades after uh, enough people are settled here they can actually claim that indian state uh, no, the j and k state is theirs the people are with them there is just a minuscule number of people who speak against it right now kashmiri people are totally against the indian occupation so they want to change the narrative and they will be easily able to do it if they are able to settle people here so it's it, it's the simple textbook settler colonialism that they want to do in kashmir okay and hmm. because they see it as a, because when you look at indian state is always seen kashmir as a, a, a issue of muslim identity and they don't want to see beyond that they are particularly focused on muslim identity the brutality that we face is because of our muslim identity the oppression we face is because they want to target our muslim identity and when they see muslim identity as a problem they see settler colonialism as a solution to that change the muslim identity of j and k there will be no kashmir problem that's how they think that's they how they want to deal with this thing okay one thing uh, i'll i'll come to the whole idea of uh, religion role of religion kashmir struggle and the muslim identity but before that can you explain the reactions when the article 370 was removed in the valley like you know in the ground what were the people talking about and why why was it important before uh, why was why was that particular uh, you know uh, thing in the constitution important and what were the reactions uh-huh. there was obviously there was a reaction of shock hmm. there was anger because uh, and then there was fear what was going to happen next when we heard about article 370 being scrapped scrapped we didn't believe actually we, we were skeptical about this whether they actually did it or not because it happened so sudden there was an internet shutdown the day before and next day we heard that article 370 has been abrogated so everyone was angry about the decision because indian state has never cared about 
what Kashmiri people think or what they want. So once again, we were seeing another misdeed from the Indian state where it did what it wanted to do without even consulting us, without even thinking about, about our aspirations, because it has, uh, it has a history of never respecting our aspirations right from 1947 to, to, to this day. So now people were looking at, uh, because there was a very pro-Hindu uh, Hindu to a government in India already. Now, looking at their intentions that have been with respect to Kashmir and the things that they want to do here, there was a fear about what was going to happen next. And that actually, we saw that happening. The fears that we had, that they came true when they introduced new domicile laws, when they started giving, they have already started, there were reports that they have started giving land to different corporations. And one more thing, they are trying to cripple us in every way possible. Like if we speak economically, there were used to be, a, like I will give you an example, there used to be sand mining in Kashmir. There is still sand mining happens in on the rivers, streams and rivulets. It used to be done by local people living around the river or the stream. Now what happens is that, what happened even during the lockdown when internet was shut down in Kashmir, they started online tenders for that. And what was generally the price, uh, like let's say the bid was should have been around 50,000 and 60,000. There was someone from Indians, India who had bid if 10 times, 20 times, 30 times more than what should have been the price. Like uh, for a bid of 50,000, there is someone from India who has given 5 lakh rupees, 10 lakh rupees, 20 lakh rupees. So that no Kashmiri gets that bid, no Kashmiri gets the right to mine that sand. And now all the mining rights have gone to some people that are from India. No, no, the people who were dependent on that sand or that boulder mining have been left uh, without any way to go. They, they, they have stopped working. I mean, and when we talk about post-August 5 scenario in Kashmir, our economy has been badly hit in in every manner. There have been because internet is still there's still 2G network in Kashmir. We can still do like even when I have to talk to someone, I have to first check whether I will be able to call him over internet or not. Video calls are not generally possible. There are there's so much lag in there. Even audio calls don't go through properly at times. And there was there was and in last few years we have seen many Kashmiris coming up and setting up their online ventures, and all of them that went to drain. There are thousands of people in Kashmir that haven't earned a single penny after August 5. So when there is the, the internet shutdown happened and then uh, articles were scrapped, people saw it as a new wave of occupation in Kashmir, that there will be new wave of repression. That Because that's what happened and that's what was happening even before that. Because they had started uh, arresting people, threatening people, and... Uh, they had increased the violence upon people of Kashmir even August 4 because they were preparing for that uh, what they had in mind this abrogation of article 370 and after abrogation of 370 police forces were everywhere there was a military siege all over Kashmir people weren't even allowed to move out of their homes so the fear of getting killed if you spoke if you move out of your house that fear cannot be described in words because uh, well, how does it feel that uh, if you move out of your home, you can be killed? Or simply because you exist, you can be killed? I don't know how to describe that. So you spoke about, you actually uh, spoke about the economics, uh, sorry, economy being hit quite badly. Uh, can you explain the local businesses? Uh, how has it been affected? With, 
mm-hmm. how has it been hit badly apart from the fact that you mentioned some sand mining which is which has hit people but uh, about uh, this this side of the economy also uh, yeah like there are uh, there are shops in kashmir that have hardly opened since august 5 they open for a day or two and then there is again some kind of uh, military action anywhere and then shops are again shut down now then there was corona since august 5 shops in our village have hardly opened they opened in, during august 5 there were there were even people who couldn't buy essentials there there used to be like after august 5 there was eat and on eat there used to be a lot of business a lot of business happened because people used to sell a lot of things the shopkeepers had the eat uh, time is uh, usually when shopkeepers are able to sell a lot of their products and it came before uh, right before eat august 5 came right before eat so uh, the eat shopping was hit the local shopkeepers were badly hit they had to close down their shops for months many shopkeepers have op- might have opened just for a few weeks since august 5 if we count all the days from august 5 to this day there will be just a few weeks when they were able to keep their shops open we are talking about now that's that's about shops now about the uh, like there are there is apple industry in kashmir there is a fruit industry in kashmir that was also badly hit because the rates were went quite the, the rates compared to last the previous year were quite low and then we couldn't even send the fruits outside properly there were many many traders apple traders who couldn't send their uh, uh, fruits outside because transport wasn't available those those people couldn't properly move on the roads there were blockades there were barricades they they had to you know some people who could afford cold storage did that and now there is another the corona lockdown those people who had kept their apples in cold storage are again in distress because they again can't sell their produce so our uh, apple industry our agricultural industry our horticulture industry was badly hit our shops didn't open for months together Uh, our exports and uh, then there is also the local uh, lo- those uh, radiwalas those street hawkers mm. they were also badly hit because none of them could operate none of them could sell any of their products there are people in kashmir who might have gone hang- hungry for weeks together couldn't find proper food because they had no source of income and it it hasn't been reported properly because the local media has been stifled the indian media doesn't care international media wasn't given proper access here so even we don't know apart from our own localities what happened in other places we don't know exactly what happened in other places the market hubs of kashmir were all closed down and as i said they might have opened only for a weeks only for a few weeks since august 5 okay uh, another thing because you said lot of lot of uh, institutions were closed what about the education like one the higher education how has it been affected and the schools because there was uh, reports that a lot of uh, uh, kids were not able to study because schools were locked down even post august 5 it's not even not even not even now even i'm talking about last year the lot of schools were closed so what has been the effect and what has been the uh, effect on kids on of not going to school and not able to study just like shops even the schools might have opened only for a few weeks since august 5 all schools were closed college and the universities were closed in kashmir for months after august 5 they uh, the government claimed to open the schools but because there was no transport available there was fear of moving outside your homes 
now the students would visit you know, actually go to the school indian the, the administration here would claim that schools have opened but there would be hardly any student there so it continued until i would say december and then few for few weeks the schools had started to operate but then there came the winter and now since march they had actually started to operate properly for a few weeks they did operate properly and then came the coronavirus the pandemic and they again have been shut down so just like shops and you know business establishments the schools have also been open just for a few weeks since august to this day and the kids have suffered a lot students all of them have suffered badly because it happened in uh, 2008 there were schools shut down for months in 2009 as well then in 2010 and 2013 for some time and then in 2016 again schools were shut for months so students are badly hit here when there are uh, different kinds of shutdowns there are uh, the schools have are closed because of what happened the violence outside the kids okay. here they have to always make do with the, like last year the students of 10th or 12th standard they hadn't even finished half of their syllabus if we talk about their syllabus the, the school syllabus they haven't even finished half of that so they had to go with that they only studied half of their subjects and then they pass their classes they pass the examination somehow but their education was affected because they hadn't studied their subjects properly none neither the students of uh, schools neither the students of college none of them had studied properly just their examinations happened somewhere promoted directly so it it is it, it's not just in 2019 or post august it has happened many times whenever there are some when there the state acts uh, upon people there are some military uh, siege there are military actions there is an encounter somewhere like let's say in during this day there is an encounter in some place we are conducting some online classes in kashmir to various schools are trying to conduct online classes there is an encounter a gunfight somewhere then in, uh, again internet is shut down so students again suffer well if it would have been the corona lockdown then there would have been a complete siege the, the whole area is put under siege no movement is allowed so again schools suffer it continues whenever there is any kind of disturbance the, the schools are the first one that get affected schools and market establishments are always they always get closed whenever there is any incident in kashmir the indian state always shuts down the internet blocks the roads so definitely the students the market establishments the shopkeepers everyone gets affected in kashmir the education gets badly affected because they can't even study properly and then there is this uh, psychological uh, impact the students face when they are under a lockdown under a military siege they can't even study properly so that also affects their them their, their studies they just keep on but we have learned to somehow move on with our lives under the siege it, somehow then you because you know there is no other way you have to go on so people try to do whatever they can do okay uh, since you said that you you moved on you know you try to move on as much as possible with your lives how was the eid uh, and how was the atmosphere of eid uh, ramzan in kashmir because you are you you people are in such an uh, enormous uh, you know high pressure high lockdown kind of situation how was that uh, they, because there was some reports as to not to celebrate you know there was some section of uh, 
people saying you should not celebrate during these times like how was that uh, uh, like basically how was the whole thing celebrated or how was the whole thing uh, how did you try to uh, you know live your life during this time because generally it's a huge month for you and how was it that it's different now this year didn't feel like it because we were was stuck in our homes we didn't go out obviously because of the coronavirus there couldn't be eat prayers as well there were some small eat gatherings in mosques they generally happen outside in the fields we were this year uh, because of the coronavirus the restrictions that had been put on gatherings it couldn't happen and then on eat you would generally go visit your friends family your relatives and that didn't happen either when we compared it with the, the eat in august last year the eat in azha last year it was still much better because on, on that eat there was total military lockdown in kashmir there was a complete military siege compared to that there were certain there was certain level of freedom in in this eat the eat as part that went so again the eat in kashmir the last two eats both of them have been under lockdowns the previous eat that happened was on 19 post august and this eat both of them have been under lockdown and there hasn't been much of celebration there haven't been much of celebrations people have tried to be as simple as possible and this time even during the last eat people generally in kashmir buy a lot of bakery and stuff on eat even during the last eat and this year we couldn't do any of that we had to make do with certain few things that we could get and what can i say it was a very weird eat because i me and my friends who were planned to go somewhere on it we couldn't do that we had to stay at home it okay. felt like any other day because there was no that feeling of celebrations or feeling of a festival this year okay you spoke about uh, the current military occupation you know how was that how is it how is this military occupation compared to the previous governments i'm talking about previous uh, governments of india that is the congress government the coalition before the upa one upa two because you spoke that in 2008 there was a lockdown you know some kind of shutdown 2009 also there was some kind of shutdown during i think uh, when omar abdullah was there uh, during i think uh, if i remember there was there was a case of the shopian dual rape and murder case asian and local yeah so all this like you know how has is it been way more brutal or what kind of new dynamics has been uh, added to the military occupation in this uh, government and what was it uh, before like was there any kind of uh, relief before or you know com- can you please compare the previous governments and can we talk about the uh, indian military occupation of kashmir hmm. whether it's bjp or whether it's congress is the same the response from indian state has been almost the same it's just that bjp is more brazen about it when it speaks about what it does in kashmir and congress wasn't brazen about it congress tried to you know put it under layers of sophistry and all that but they did the same things as bjp is doing right now there is there's no difference there directions have been same it's just that congress spoke about it differently outside and bjp is more brazen about it bjp takes pride in the violence while congress may uh, layer it under some sophistry uh, under different words and try to portray as if they are not doing any violence on kashmiris but on ground the impact is same the level of violence is same the brutality is same because the military setup hasn't changed the government might have changed uh, in the indian state but the military setup 
has actually been established by Congress here. So when we compare what's happening uh, nowadays and then compare it with what happened in 90s in Kashmir, because in 90s there was Congress government and most of the violence that Kashmiris have been subjected to happened during 90s. So when we compare the two, there is no difference because Congress has been as brutal as BJP and BJP is as brutal as Congress because both of them are operate as an Indian state in Kashmir and Indian state has to maintain its occupation. Okay. Uh, the thing about, uh, because there were recent reports, I this question came to me because there were recent reports of houses being uh, burnt, uh, houses being destroyed during uh, during these encounters, during these uh, show, you know, uh, during the exchanges between militants and the Indian Army, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So, uh, so that 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 brought up on the question whether this is a different thing, right? So, can you explain that part wherein you know because there are a lot of reports where uh, houses have been destroyed, people, and there is also some reports as in people, you know, the Indian Army and you know, in the Indian forces are looting the houses. You know, there have been reports of that also. Like, can you explain like uh, was it was it the same before or was it something new thing now happening? Yes, uh, when we uh, like in during 90s, uh, burning of houses, using of arson by Indian forces was pretty common. There are numerous incidents where shops have been burned, houses have been burned. Even if we go uh, to a period before 19, 1990s, there were different incidents of arson, like the famous Badamalo arson, when a whole you know, part of it. Uh, Kashmiri, uh, Srinagar city, the Badmalu area was burned down by Indian forces. So arson, destruction of houses, and then when you talk about these have been common happenings in Kashmir since 90s more, uh, they have been quite frequent. Indian forces during military operations, they try to, you know, they try to make it as, as a statement of collective punishment. They want to collectively punish Kashmiris for supporting armed resistance or for speaking against Indian state for being part of the uprising. So they burn the houses, the shops, sometimes whole localities are burned down. Now the lootings, and again, these have been common, commonly reported during 90s as well, early 2000s as well, during cordon search operations, when there is a cordon search operation anywhere, house inmates are, brought out of the houses, they are brought out of the houses and there is no one inside. When, and they, when they search, sometimes they loot whatever they find, the valuable, the gold, jewelry, current money, whatever they find valuable inside the house, they loot it. Sometimes they even take utensils. There was a recent case where they had even taken utensils from the home. Lootings have been pretty common in Kashmir. And then uh, now when we talk about the latest phase of violence against Kashmir, the latest phase of Indian military actions, they have increased these uh, things, burning of homes, because now they don't just want to, during a military uh, operation, when there is a gunfight between Indian forces and militants, they don't just try to kill the militant, they try to bring the whole house down deliberately. It's a kind of punishment against the house owners that why would they allow him to allow him to you know, give him the space, give the militant the space, and to send a message to everyone that if you give space to militants, if you support them, then there will be consequences. So in Kashmir or in anywhere, in, in anywhere, anywhere in the world, 
it takes lifetime of savings to build a house. So everyone knows what it means to build a house. It, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of savings, a lot of uh, hard work. It's, it's, a, it's a lifetime investment. And then you, when you see that house coming down right in front of your house, uh, eyes, it's, it's, I can't explain it how painful it would be for that person. So Indian military, Indian forces right now want to send a message more than anything else because the militants in Kashmir usually don't have a have lot of lots of weapons, but still they use IED blasts, RDX or whatever to bring the whole house down when they can easily kill a militant if they want to, because that's not their purpose. Their purpose is to collect to punish all the people, the villagers. They don't just blast the house. They even use Kashmiris as human shields during the operations. Like they will use Kashmiris to, there was a report recently uh, that Kashmiris were given the explosives to set them around the houses and then they were blasted. So they sent in civilians to set the explosives to do their own work. So that, because they know this thing that militants might not attack civilians, they will not attack civilians. So they sent in civilians to search the houses. They always keep them in front and then they move at their backs. The human shields is a pretty common thing in Kashmir. And then tortures during search operations, tortures of house inmates, the people of that area. So during this search operations, pardon search operations, their aim is always to terrorize people so that they, you know, so that there is no one else there is so no one else remains in, in there who will support any kind of resistance against the occupation. Build, destroying houses, lootings, these are kind these are types of punishment that they want to inflict on. Okay, uh, so so in 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 a sense, it's just uh, just another way of uh, terrorizing the people, the locals yes. there, right? So what is the I wanted to talk about two things. One was the human shields you mentioned. Can you expand a bit more? Like, how was that? Uh, because uh, it's something I keep hearing, but not reported well around. You know, no, nobody talks about that aspect of the, uh, you know, the search and operation. The the what do you say? The yes, when there, is a, when, there is a, uh, when there is a search operation, hmm. uh, and they fear that uh, they have some inputs about presence of any militant inside the building. Mm. They won't simply do the search themselves. They will send in civilians, people mm. from that area, or the people from that house itself. They will send them in and ask them to see if there's anyone there. They will not go in themselves. And even if they will go inside, they will keep the civilians in front. They will use them as shields, exactly as shields. They will keep them in front and they will stay at the back. They will ask them to move ahead of them. The civilians will be asked to move ahead of them and they will coming afterwards. So it happens in not just in one or two cases, it happens in almost every search operation. Human shields is a human shield is a very common thing in Kashmir. It's a daily occur, occurrence during search operations. Uh, I also told you about how they use Kashmiri civilians to set up explosives out mm -hmm. around the house. Okay. They will even when they when they like when the gunfight starts and sometimes the firing stops and they have to check whether the militant has died or not. They will ask a Kashmiri civilian to go inside and check if he is alive or not. 
they will not go in themselves and check it they will send civilians when okay. they uh, they apprehend when they some uh, they have some information about a hideout or a hiding place of a militant again they they won't go in themselves they will again send in civilians first or they will keep them in front of themselves and then move so that if there is a retaliatory retaliatory attack from the militants obviously it will hit the civilian foot so they exactly use them as shields like the term what what the term shield means mm. exactly as that they use kashmiris during search operations and it's not as i said it's not some uh, thing that happens once or twice it happens almost in every search operation kashmiris are always sent first into the houses to look around they are always used as human shields that's it from this half of the episode on kashmir Uh, in the next one, uh, Mudasir talks about the Eris uh, role of religion, politics, and a few more questions I had. Please do listen. Uh, thanks for joining us, and see you in the next episode.